0: Some of these passages in John, where you have so much exchange between Jesus and others. I think you see more of Jesus just, you know, conversations in John than probably anywhere else. And you kind of see something about his teaching style. You know, people didn't seem to hesitate to interrupt. You know, it's kind of a continuing, almost class setting in some of these things. And uh, he lets his enemies talk. You know, I mean, he's debating them in this dialogue. Um, And they're there at the feast. They're there in the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus is answering some objections. And they're continuing to try to blow some smoke and try to uh, turn the people away from Jesus. And now we come to the very last day, the great day of the feast. The last day was more or less the climax of the feast. And so uh, 37 to uh,
1: 44. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being will flow a river of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus not yet glorified. Some of the people, therefore, when they they heard these words, were saying, This certainly is the prophet. Others were saying, this is the Christ. Still others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is He? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So a division occurred in the crowd because of Him. Some of them wanted to seize Him, but no one laid hands on Him.
0: Okay, now... This uh, last day of the feast, at least according to what we know about Jewish practice at that time, there was a water-pouring ceremony associated with this. That may be kind of the background for what Jesus is saying. He says, if anybody's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Now, there is some legitimate debate about who the his is. Is this living water flowing out of the belly of Jesus or the believer? Either are possibilities. But if it is the believer, then you've of got three stages. You, first, you come to him and then you become a source of water to bless others. So you thirst, you see your need for the Lord, you come to him to receive, and then you allow his water, uh, his blessings to flow to others through you. And in all of this, he's talking about the spirit. That's the, the water source, so to speak. That will come after Jesus is glorified. The spirit will be sent after Jesus ascends back to the Father. Now the people are divided over Jesus. And some of them are saying this is the prophet. Again going back to Deuteronomy 18. They thought of the prophet as being different from the Messiah. Some of them said no this is the Christ. And some of them are saying no it can't be the Christ. Why can't it be the Christ? To to them. Where is he from? Where is he from according to them. Galilee, and where was he supposed to be from? Bethlehem wasn't in Galilee? Where was Bethlehem from? Judea, yeah. So, now, what about that question? I mean, why would they have thought that the Messiah was supposed to be from Bethlehem? Does it?
1: I think
0: it says that. Well, that hadn't even been written yet when Jesus Uh, said that. Well, well, in Matthew 2, there's an Old Testament scripture
1: reporting about that. There is. Where's that? Micah 5, too. I thought you were trying to get out of that.
0: (laughs) Micah 5 said that the ruler of Israel was to come forth from Bethlehem. They got that part right. and you're right in Matthew 2, they even knew that to tell Herod where the king of the Jews would be born. And yet, where does Jesus come from according to them? Galilee. Now why would they have thought Jesus came from Galilee? That's where he grew up. That's the where, where he was from in that sense. Some of you know me fairly well, but not extremely well. Where would you say I'm from? What city? Where am I from? Indianapolis. Several of you know that about me. But but I was not born in Indianapolis. I was born in Vincennes. And when I was 10 months old, we moved to Indianapolis. Now, so if you don't know Indiana, that doesn't mean anything. But Vincennes is probably three hours from Indianapolis. Nearly two hours, anyway. Uh, so Jesus born in Bethlehem. Remember that, and then because of the threat of Herod, God had Joseph take him to Egypt. And then when he moved back, he ended up moving back to where they were originally living before they went to Bethlehem, and that was Nazareth in Galilee. So Jesus goes up, and everybody sees him as a Nazarene, as a Galilean, because that's where he grew up. And a lot of people wouldn't have known that he was actually born in Bethlehem. And so that's what they're thinking. They're thinking, okay, so he's, he's from Galilee. And yet the scriptures said the Messiah was to come from Bethlehem. He can't be the Messiah. Now, there's, that's just interesting. It's pretty good reasoning on their part, except for one thing. And that is, he was the Messiah. And there was all kinds of evidence to indicate that he was the Messiah. They didn't have the wisdom at all to understand the correct answer to this question. And again, as far as we know, Jesus didn't give them the answer. I want to stress that point again. What are you going to do the day there's a, a question you can ask? should an unanswered question overthrow our faith? No. I mean, here you've got all this abundant evidence, and here's something I can't answer. Now, to allow the one question you can't answer to overthrow the abundant evidence, that's not rational. That's not reasonable. We don't do that in anything else. We understand that we don't know the answers to all the questions. Now, it turns out as it will always turn out, the answer to the objection further proves Jesus was the Messiah. If they'd only known where he really was from, lo and behold, he was from, from, he was from Bethlehem, just exactly what Micah 5 prophesied. You don't have to answer everybody's objection. Jesus Jesus knew the answer, but he doesn't answer it. What do you do when when there's somebody who's trying to, you know, tear apart your faith, you know, pick apart these Bible teachings or whatever? Do you feel like you have to find every answer for them to every objection they bring up? I've heard people before say, you know, if you bring me a, a, a question about the Bible and I can't answer it, I'll find the answer for you. I don't say that. And I don't always. <laughs> I don't know that I could. And I don't know that I should. You can already tell my favorite answer is I don't know. <laughs> always helps to be ignorant. <laughs> We're just not obligated to always have the answer. You know, we didn't say we would. You know, it's a problem for us sometimes when we're trying to teach people. It's like, well, what do I do when they ask this question? Well, if you know the answer, you'll answer it. And if you don't, you'll say you don't know. What else would you do when somebody asks a question? You know, if I asked somebody, would you be willing to read the Bible with And they say, sure, we'll read the Bible together. Did I say I knew all the answers to all the questions? Now, if somebody asks me a question that I think is appropriate, and I do know something to help them in answering the question, okay, I'll I'll, I'll help. But when I ask somebody to read the Bible with me, I never said, hey, I'm the expert, I know all the answers. I don't. I doubt if you do either. We never said we did. We don't have to answer all the questions. We don't have to get all our questions answered. Here's one he just leaves hanging. And yet we know there's a good answer to it. You know, thankfully, we know the point, but they don't. So they're divided. And some wanted to seize him, but nobody ends up arresting him. Comments and questions through verse 44.
1: Yes. There's kind of a fine line, though, about having that attitude of, well, if I don't know it, then, you know, tough luck, or, you know, sorry, I can't answer it. Because, I mean, if you always have that attitude about everything, you're not going to learn anything new. And I know that's not what you're saying, but, you know, you can't always just have that attitude, well, I'm not going to look for that, or, you know, I think you always need to search for it, and there might not be an answer for it, but... I think you always need to study and search for, for the answer to to anything that's biblical.
0: Well, we definitely always need to study work. We need to be growing in our understanding. We need to be seeking God's word and God's will.
1: <clears throat>
0: I don't know that we always need to try to seek every answer to every question. Some questions aren't worth answering. You know, and some of you may just not have the tools to know how to begin to do it. Seven questions are like, I don't know where to start. <laughs> you know? So I'll just keep studying. Maybe I'll run across it. I, I, I think we shouldn't just be bound by feeling like every question must be answered. That's what I saying. What should they have done here? Should they have just stopped what they were doing until they found the answer to this? I don't think so.
1: Yeah. I agree what you're saying, because I mean if we just studied not look for an answer in particular to a particular question. You might run across a whole lot of other answers to some questions you had weeks ago. You just never know what you're going to learn in delving
0: in. Absolutely. And you'll see things that maybe you'd never thought of before that will help you in answering that. Maybe at an unexpected time, if we're growing in our knowledge, if we're really reading and studying the Bible, gradually some questions will be answered. Now, the truth is, some more will be raised. But, but we will answer some questions. And there are some questions that I can feel like I can answer now that a few years ago I, I wouldn't have known what to say. So I'm thankful for that. But I still don't know what to say about all this stuff. Michael. Just one of the hangups, for least, is always,
1: we do it. Always be ready to be given to promote We've always been told or at least I am. That means study, 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 so you can always answer other questions. So what are we?
0: What are we reading? That's good. I hadn't thought about uh, people using that passage that way. That's 1 Peter 3.15, where he says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense in the New American Standard to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. I think the point of that is you need to be able to tell why you are a Christian, why you believe in the Lord, you know, be ready to make a defense about the hope that you have. This is not be ready to defend every possible right answer to a question, but you need to be able to show why you have the hope you do. Why do you believe in the Lord like you do? So, I don't think answer to every question, but answer for your hope. Good, good passage. Ben.
1: Well, like many things, like our discussion earlier from six, and this is a matter of balance. Yes. And we're
0: going to see what happens when we go to the other extreme in just a few verses. Yes. You're right. Sometimes we need to investigate. Much depends on the nature of the question, <coughs> too. I mean, remember, first second first Timothy suggests some questions just don't deserve consideration. Not every question really matters. And, and I think we're too governed by people's questions, sometimes I probably am. Maybe sometimes even in this. But you know, sometimes they may ask a question, but that's not what they need to hear. <laughs> so,
1: uh, I was going to say that uh, studying to answer questions. If you wanted to find Bible verses to justify murder, you could pick and find ones that would. Uh, but if you're studying to answer an unanswerable questions, you more than likely we'll come up with completely wrong answers.
0: It's a good point, too. Uh, it's worth uh, making this point. Um, and that is, we really need to study a lot in context. Sometimes studying to answer questions is a little complicated. Can you sound more on verse
1: 39? Um, just how, he says, this is the Spirit. Now, this he said about the Spirit. Who knows who in him received for as yet the spirit had not been given what is that up, is the water that's being drunk or the water that's coming out of the believer or what is this spirit being
0: maybe both of those but you know when Jesus was glorified then he sent the spirit and we have many Old Testament passages that indicate the era of, of the messianic Kingdom was the era of the spirit so when he's talking about drinking and the waters flowing out, I think he's talking about the Spirit who provides these blessings. Uh, not only our being able to drink of eternal life, but our being able to share that with others is really all because of the Spirit. Mike,
1: um, we talked about how these followers were getting hung up on the Micah prophecy, but would they not be able to understand from Isaiah 9, 1 and 2 that He would come out, of, that a light would come out? Of, uh, anyone in Naphtali, or would they, they just predict? We'll talk that? about that in a second. Yeah,
0: good question. Very good, but I want to save that for something we're going to say in a second. Go ahead, Logan.
1: What is, uh, we, we have a little bit of insight into the work of the Spirit in the New Testament, like that he gave some of the powers to Jesus and the Apostle of miraculous works and he received the Holy Spirit when we baptized, but what would have been the role of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? Would that just have been the giving prophecy and things like that?
0: Well, that's a good question. Um, I, what I would say would not be exhaustive. One thing is that 2 Peter 1, 20 21, the Spirit inspired the prophets. You also have the Spirit's involvement in creation, Genesis 1, 2, and so forth. You also have things like the Spirit coming upon certain men. Numbers 11, Eldad and Medad and so forth. Um, Some of the um, judges, uh, David, um, uh, some others. So you've got some things that the Spirit did, but you would not say that the Old Testament era was the era of the Spirit. There's not that emphasis. You know, the Spirit came and was poured out in a much broader sense, starting in Acts chapter 2. You know, Joel's prophecy was not the Spirit given to one or another, but the Spirit being poured out on all flesh. So I think you very much have the concept that the New Testament from Pentecost on is the era of the Spirit. The blessings we have now in Christ come through the Spirit. The Spirit inspired the message of the New Testament, revealed Christ to us, and so forth and so forth. Yeah, a lot that I don't understand about all that, but I do think we need to give proper biblical emphasis to the role of the Spirit.
1: Eric, what what scripture is he quoting
0: here? Um, I to over. Yeah, very good question. Um, you know, when when he quotes Old Testament passages, sometimes you don't find an exact fit. Uh, Isaiah 58:11 is a possibility. Uh, and the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire And scorched places and give strength to your bones and you will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. Fall. Fail. Uh, <laughs> I,
1: uh, so, back to possibility.
0: Isaiah 58. Tim. We were
1: talking earlier, I guess it's not, not clear whether this uh, water is, is coming out of him or out of, out of us. Does it, does it help to look at uh, John uh, 4, uh, 14, where it says, Whatever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I give him will become in him a well, of water springing up him eternal life."
0: It's interesting, though it may not be exactly the same point. Not so sure in 4, 14 that this is water that refreshes others. But it is interesting. If, if it does anything, it lends support for the idea this is the believer.
1: So in, thir- in seven, it's why you're saying it's for others. I guess is it coming out of them?
0: Yeah, but that might be an assumption as well.
1: Out. What was the verse in Isaiah eight?
0: Eleven. Okay. So look at this next section, which is quite impressive. Wow. The, 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 some of these are just funny, and this one is. 45 to 52.
1: When the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees, who said to them, Why have you not brought him? The officers said, No man ever spoke like this man. And the Pharisees answered him, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? For this crowd that does not know the law is a curse. Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Did our law judge a man before it it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. All right, this is amazing. Remember,
0: 32, they (laughs) sent some officers to arrest Jesus, you know, at an appropriate moment. And... uh, They come back with no Jesus. What happened? (laughs) Yeah, they're so amazed by Jesus' teaching. They're like, wow, nobody ever spoke like he did. Of all things, they send these guys out to arrest him, and they're practically converted while they're waiting for a good moment. I mean, this, this really blows up in their face. It's like, whoa you know, can you imagine the frustration just the, you know the anger I mean, they're not supposed to have a mind of their own (laughs) you know, you go arrest him not listen to him, for crying out loud (laughs) well, the Pharisees they say, you've not also been led astray, have you? no one of the rulers or Pharisees has believed in him, has he? but this crowd which does not know the law is accursed, I mean no important person has believed in him. You know. none, none, none of the elite. You know, it's this multitudes. These common people don't know anything. They don't know the law. You know, so they're just kind of branding these officers with the common people as people that are, are worthless. You know, they're not, they're not intellectual snobs like we are. You know, they don't, they don't have this... You know, they don't have all the, the special understanding. We do. No one of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him. That's kind of disproven. Because who speaks up next? <laughs> and what does Nicodemus say? Yeah, I mean, aren't you supposed to give somebody a hearing before you judge him? He raises a point of order based upon the law. Oops. What do you do when you, uh, when you don't really have an answer? Yeah, exactly. Huh. You're not from Galilee too, are you? <laughs> You know, God, being a Galilean, that's, that's bad, you know. To them, Jerusalem was the place to be. The Gal- Galilee was not only kind of uh, the, the hillbillies or the hicks or whatever, but they would be considered farther away from religious purity, farther away from strictness, spiritually. Well, you're not from Galilee too, are you? How does that answer what he said? I mean, you know, you realize they're, they're not really dealing with the point They're just saying something to try to down Nicodemus. Makes you wonder what Nicodemus has come a ways out of the the darkness. And then they say, search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. That goes back to their assumption that Jesus came from Galilee, right? But wait a minute. No prophet comes out of Galilee? Is that really true? Had there been prophets from Galilee, Roger? Jonah was a prophet. Jonah was a prophet from Galilee. Elijah. Maybe Elijah. Gilead. Perhaps you can equate that with Galilee. Uh, perhaps Nahum. There's some debate about that. Certainly Jonah. But, but that's all kind of beside the point. Go back to what Micah pointed out. Isaiah Isaiah 9. You know, sometimes in our blindness, in our determination to, to down something <coughs> that we don't like, we ignore the obvious. I have no idea how they said this in view of Isaiah 9. There will be no more gloom for her who is in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, with contempt, but later on he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee, and the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. The light was going to first dawn in Galilee. And this is a passage dealing with the Messiah. Look at verse 6 and 7. You know, 7, he's going to be on the throne of David and over his kingdom from then on and forevermore. This is a messianic passage, if there ever was one. It says the light's going to come first in Galilee. You know, when we have a prejudice against something, we ignore the obvious. The Pharisees knew the book, but they completely closed their eyes to this passage, that search and see no prophet arise out of Galilee. If if we had studied the scriptures about the Messiah. We would have said he would first start working in Galilee. It's amazing. But that's exactly what we do. You watch us. When you have a prejudice. And you want something to be a certain way. You'll just ignore plain passages. You'll just twist plain passages. People do it all the time. It's like wait a minute. What about this? But we just ignore it in our blindness that's self induced. So, I mean, this is one of the more outrageous things they said, in my judgment. Comments and questions on the uh, I was
1: in a discussion with someone once who I kind of felt like they knew better and they were twisting things. And I brought up issues like this. You know, I and mean, we can um, diminish the truth. One, we do have to seek the truth and want it to be able to, for it to become obvious. And that didn't go well. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I didn't hear either. His, his first was that doesn't help the argument, which is true. I mean, it, it doesn't, I mean, in the sense of uh, that is automatically what I'm kind of saying right, you know, a, that spiritual principle. But I feel like if you say that and remind people uh, that our heart needs to be right and that we shouldn't be blinding things that we don't want to be true, is there a good way to bring that into discussions like that?
0: Jesus did. I mean, I think a lot depends on where the person is coming from. Someone who's sincerely misled, but has a real love for God and a trust in God, we need to patiently, you know, recover them from the snare of the devil and help them see the way of God more perfectly. Like Aquila and Priscilla did Apollos. There's a time to just patiently help somebody see the truth. But I think there are times to just challenge the heart and the attitude of a person. Sometimes we dignify people's objections too much by answering. There are times when it's like, the point isn't the passage you brought up. The point is you don't want to believe what you know the truth is. And you're just bringing passages up as a smokescreen. So there are times when I think the issue is not what does the Bible say about it per se. But the issue is what's your attitude toward the Lord, which will color how you see the passages. So I think it's very appropriate to do that in the right context.
1: Kind of what J.D. said is that like, if you study with someone about Jesus and they try to twist it and everything, um, like it was saying, you don't, like they try to keep making excuses as I like, find this, where it saves this, should you like not, like, maybe sometimes we should just give them the answer? Or? Well, sometimes we should Sometimes we should lead them to I find know. it for themselves. Oh. Okay? Um, the work that the ESP reads, search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. I'm not sure if the ESP reads there. Are they, the Pharisees saying no prophet has ever come from Galilee, or are they saying see that none does come from Galilee? I think the former,
0: but maybe both. I mean I think they're just saying problems don't come to Past, present, future. <laughs> There's some debate about that. There's two or three other explanations that we sometimes give, but that, that seems the best to me. Ben? One
1: of the big questions that enters into our discussion with people of all sorts of denominations is the question of faith versus works. You know, are we saved by faith? Are we saved by works? You know, how do these things go together? And, and I think this chapter anyway shows you you can't really separate these things. One man, what is this way, that, you, know, you, you can't believe unless you're will, willing to obey, and you can't obey unless you believe. And these things, you know, at certain times, sometimes kind of become more important. But here Jesus start with the idea, you have to be willing to obey. Them. And here at the end, we see these people who just will not believe no matter what. And, and these things are so intrinsically tied. And not to say that some verses don't discuss one or the other without the other, but we just sometimes do ourselves as service trying to analyze and systemize it so much.
0: You have to be faithful to the Certainly. And here we see these people falling apart because they don't have one there, or the other, Although. Exactly. Matt.
1: So I'm just at this story of making and how we go through him. It's uh, a, a pretty good halfway point in his coming out of the darkness here. I mean, he, he doesn't make a good point. He didn't have a, kind of a trial first. But Nicodemus knows enough to, to say Jesus is the Christ. He knows enough that he, can, he could say, say, look, here's the trial. You no, know, we have enough to go with. We don't really need the trial. But he does just kind of say, let's, let's have the trial.
0: He's a little too tentative here, isn't he? I right, agree. Nathan?
1: Maybe this is what we've been saying the whole time, but it occurs to me that not only um, are they biased because they want it another way, there's also a bit of pride involved too. Um, I mean there's so many people saying uh, I mean you know the guys come back and say look nobody ever talked like this guy and they just they refuse to consider it whatsoever it seems to me just a lot of that might be because they want to change their status sure
0: I agree good point anything else on chapter 7
1: okay All right. I need to take a moment here and deal with this first part of